From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. We've reached that time of year where critical postseason games are taking place everywhere you look, with lacrosse having just wrapped up their third straight Big East tournament title and softball heading to Knoxville as the number one seed in the SEC tournament. As the last sport to the finish line, baseball is in the final throws of their regular season, and we'll shine the spotlight on Kevin O'Sullivan's squad today through a revealing chat with senior outfielder Ryan Larson. But before we get to that, it was a busy week of news all across the Gator Nation from swimming to football and more. So we convened our roundtable with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry and began by discussing a momentous SEC sweep for baseball. Yeah, I mean, right now, Florida's uh, in first place in the SEC East uh, for the first time all season. You got to remember, this is a team that started conference play 0-3, uh, getting swept up at Auburn. And uh, they've chipped away at the lead. They got they fell behind no more than three games. But Kentucky was really playing well in the first half of the conference schedule. So you wondered, like, you know, would they maintain that lead throughout? But now Florida moved ahead with that sweep of Ole Miss over the weekend. Kentucky lost two or three to Georgia. And, you know, it's shaping up, Adam, to be a, a pretty interesting regular season finish because of Kentucky and Florida – uh, after this weekend, they meet the following weekend here in Gainesville with potentially, you know, the number one seed in the SEC tournament and certainly the SEC East title on the line. That should interest some people out of McKeithen Stadium. And this weekend, they're going on the road for their final road series of the regular season up at Alabama. Uh, Alabama, you know, they struggled this year. It's a series that Florida should uh, go up there and win. But again, it's baseball. And you mentioned about last night, I mean, I certainly didn't see Florida walking 17 uh, USF batters and losing, what, 15 to 10. Uh, it was one of those games that Kevin Sullivan said this has kind of been a season of first this year for him. The Gators that have only walked double-digit batters one other time in his 10 years here. They walked 10 a few years ago. Last night, 17, and uh, you can't walk 17 and expect to win. And uh, Anyway, but the big picture, Adam, is I think what's really happened with this club is they finally started hitting. They're getting some timely hits, some two-out hits. And uh, I wrote about a, a moment from Friday's game, uh, the first game against Ole Miss yesterday on our website. Just as Christian Hicks, I mean, that, that at bat, it's a 15-pitch at bat. He fouls off uh, nine pitches with two strikes on him against the reigning SEC pitcher of the week. And, and the team, man, I've never seen a team get so fired up or the fans over foul balls and eventually a walk that led to the first run of the game. And that just tells you these guys are kind of locked in and uh, they're playing some good baseball right now. Speaking of timely hits, uh, a lot of those have come from Ryan Larson, and we're going to talk to him a little bit later in this show. But can you just talk about what you've seen from him as a senior really stepping up and owning what was a very tough year for him last year with his best season of his career? Yeah, you know, um, going back to that Hicks at bat, of course, Ryan Larson, was sitting there on deck for uh, what seemed like a half hour. And, uh, you know, we asked him after, uh, what, Sunday's game about that moment. And, you know, he said, when you sit there and you get to see that many pitches thrown, you get to kind of time up the pitcher. And sure enough, after uh, Hicks walks in the first run, the bases are still loaded. Ryan Larson comes up and hits a grand slam. 
And, uh, you know, after that, the Gators were on their way to a win there. I broke open the game and really broke Ole Miss's back. And, you know, Ryan Larson's one of the more interesting stories on the team just because here's a guy that he's had really good stretches of play since he's been at Florida uh, where he's really made a difference in the lineup. And then he's had some stretches where you might not see him in the starting lineup for 20 games, but he's certainly worked his way back in the lineup as a senior and he's uh, really been their probably most consistent threat throughout the last couple of months. And now you got guys like J.J. Schwartz and, uh, you know, Hicks obviously helping out. Jonathan India's back. But, yeah, Ryan Larson has a pretty good case for being the MVP of the lineup right now. He's really hitting and helping his prospects maybe in the draft. But most importantly for him, obviously, is helping the skaters team to see if they can get back to Omaha. So baseball is still a few weeks left in the regular season. Softball regular season is wrapped, and now it's the SEC tournament, which will be going on as most people hear this. And for Florida, that was preceded by just a ton of awards from the league and pretty much what you'd expect in terms of Kelly Barnhill, the pitcher of the year, Tim Walton, the coach of the year. But even for a program that's made a lot of history lately, a record haul in the SEC awards. None of it, of course, like you said, Adam, would have been a surprise. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised also if a lot of national awards would probably come that way. And certainly Kelly Barnhill has put herself in position to claim whatever whatever the, the national pitching pitching awards are. Just a phenomenal season. She's had virtually unhittable in conference play. Uh, and obviously now you go, to the, uh, you go to the SEC tournament in Knoxville. Uh, Florida has not won the SEC tournament since 2013. I think it's worth noting that the two years that they won the national championship uh, SEC tournament is a single elimination affair. Um, so you have a chance to go up there and, and for it to be a, a pretty quick trip um, lost uh, in the second round, I believe in 14th, uh, the third round in 2015. And then third round also last year that they had three tournament titles in their history. Last one being that 2013 season. I don't know that Tim Walton puts a whole lot of stock. Sure. He'd love to win it, but uh, given the recent history in terms of what happened uh, in 2014 and 2015 and, you know, having a semi fairly early exits with that and not coming home with that uh, SEC tournament championship trophy. It's, it's not going to break his heart one way or the other what happens there. But like I said, he certainly wants to go there and win it. So we'll see what happens from there. We talk all the time about the SEC and the domination in sports, especially like football, but softball, you've got 13 teams in the SEC that compete in softball, and it looks like all of them are going to make it into the NCAA tournament, which has never happened. And you could even have Georgia, which did not make the SEC tournament, making the NCAA tournament. So I think it it says a lot about why Florida is confident about the position they're in going in with that number one RPI because of the work they did against the SEC in the regular season. Yeah, and the games at the non-conference games they played, it must just roll in in the last, what is it, last three weeks, they played Florida State twice and uh, split that series that they had losing that game, I think it was in 11 innings uh, on a walk-off against Kelly Barnhill. So obviously uh, Florida State is a very, very good team. So, you know, they put themselves in ideal position for when those uh, NCAA tournament seedings come out. It's come to the point now, Adam, there's really no drama in the fact, you know, Florida's going to play an NCAA tournament at home. They're going to have a super region at home. That's the expectation now. Mm. And you go into a season thinking, who is Florida's super region opponent going to be, not whether or not they're going to be in one. So, you know, again, kudos to Tim Walton for where he has his team. And obviously he was awarded another SEC uh, Coach of the Year award. And this pitching that's going on, I mean, um, North Texas, obviously, uh, and, and Florida A&M don't pack the punch that any of the SEC teams have, but they came in for the season-ending regular season weekend, and 
obviously Florida just mowed through them. Delaney Gorley or senior weekend had a, had a phenomenal run, uh, shutout run. The pitching is obviously the team's strength. They're going to need to hit obviously when they start playing the really good teams and uh, good timing, maybe get it going a little bit in the SEC tournament against some of these more powerful teams and just add to that very, very high RPI they got going right now. For as much as we talk about SEC domination, it's easy to forget that Florida does have a sport in lacrosse that competes in the Big East. And Scott, they've continued to dominate the Big East and they are rolling going into the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I'm guessing the Big East Conference is glad to see the Florida Gators leave next year. Uh, <laughs> they, they won that tournament again, Adam, uh, three in a row form, all three seasons in the tournament. And they made it look pretty easy, really, with wins over uh, Temple and Denver. And, uh, you know, nothing really surprising there. They earned a number three national seed. Mm. And they're going to open up Sunday in the NCAA tournament against the winner of the Southern Cal-Jacksonville game Friday here in Gainesville. So uh, they got a little bit of time to rest. And, uh, you know, they played USC earlier this year here and beat them. Uh, USC is a you know, pretty good program. So that would be an interesting first round game for the Gators. But uh, I look at this team as probably Florida's best chance to get back to the final four for the first time in five years. And if you look at the bracket, it, it kind of shook out to their favor. If they can win three and get there. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Keeping things moving around the Gator Nation. A lot of things to hit on this week. Uh, Cool story that Chris did for FloridaGators.com about the swimming team giving back to the community. These are not things that make highlight reels, but they're really important to what the Florida Gators are really all about. I got a call, Adam, from a girl who went to high school with my daughter in Tampa. She works for the National Pediatric Cancer Foundation, and uh, she works in PR there. And they had a, a, a gala over the weekend. It was uh, something of a, of a make-a-wish kind of thing and for uh, children with cancer uh, and, and children in remission of cancer. And um, one of the wish requests from a child by the name of Kaylin Canella was to one day swim in the Olympics. And that's a, that was a dream of hers. And one of, the, one of the wishes to help make this dream come true was to be uh, united with, a, with an Olympic swimmer. And the Florida Gators were nice enough to send down Caleb Dresso and his gold medal and his teammate Jan Switkowski, who swam for, for the Polish national team. And they surprised her at this event. It was so, something of a, a fashion show. And she got all dressed up and got to walk the runway with a bunch of other um, uh, cancer patients in their dream. Gerald McCoy walked with one young man down there, Tampa Bay Buccaneer defensive mm-hmm. lineman. Jesse Palmer was the uh, was the MC of the event, so it had a little bit of a gator flavor. But um, you always like to hear uh, these kind of uh, community outreach and charitable kind of things that these student athletes put themselves to uh, that really help uh, these these amazing causes. And uh, uh, the quote from the young lady, uh, Kaylin, she said it was the best day of her life. And you can only imagine what it meant to her and obviously what it probably meant to her family. That is really, really cool. And to read more about that, check out the Harry Fodder blog at FloridaGators.com. And if you check out Scott Carter's blog, you'll see a story about Jeremy Foley, who is in a new position. He is not back as the athletic director for Florida, but he is giving back to the community in a different way, Scott. Yeah, Professor Foley has a different ring yeah. to it. Huh? He's uh, starting this fall at the uh, U.S. College of Health and Human Performance uh, announced today that he's going to be uh, doing some lecturing over there. Uh, starting in the fall, uh, he's going to also, you know, join the faculty staff. And, uh, you know, obviously with his background, with his success, uh, I would imagine the sports management students over there who uh, he's going to be talking to and teaching, they're pretty excited, I'm sure, to hear some of his stories, hear some of his philosophies and how he went about his job and, you know, to have such success at Florida. 
so obviously it's nice to see him stay on campus, a different role for him. Uh, I haven't talked to him yet about it. I'm sure at this stage of his career in life, uh, I think he does a lot of speaking to students mm-hmm. on campus over the years. This just takes it up another notch. It's something that seemingly he enjoys. And I can speak to that because I know that I think it was last month he was doing a guest lecture, I think, on on ethics in sports. And he came through uh, some of our offices here, especially coming to pick the brain of, of Scott and I relative to uh, – Part of the lecture that he was going to talk about, about dealing with journalists and the the ethics that come with that. And he spent 15, 20 minutes in my office picking my brain for some information he was going to take back for that lecture and did the same, went right next door and went into Scott's office and did the same. So he takes this stuff very seriously. I'd I'd imagine just the the guy's got some serious street cred to stand up there. And, 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 you know, who wouldn't want to take a class from uh, somebody who, who ran a program for 25 years? And I go back to saying this, as many championships as Jeremy won here. Yeah, SEC championships and national championships, 25 years and not one program placed on probation, just a, a, a phenomenal run for him. And that's quite an honor, I would think, to be a student in, in one of his classes. Wrapping things up with football, Jim McElwain's speaking tour continues. And Scott, he was just down the street the other day speaking to Titletown Gator Club. And what were some of the things that he was uh, ready to talk about? One of the hot topics, obviously, this new NCAA legislation that just passed this week in terms of the early signing date in football. Well, you know, we've heard about this for years, what it would do in the recruiting process. And uh, his his take was, you know, first of all, if you haven't heard the news, I mean, starting this December, December 20th through 22nd, it's a three-day, uh, 72-hour window when colleges can uh, sign, uh, you know, these football players to scholarships, those guys who want to go ahead, sign early, get it out of the way, uh, you know, almost two months before National Signing Day and just uh, get back to their school. And, you know, a lot of these guys are going to be early enrollee guys. Uh, McElwain's main take is that he thinks it's going to be a, a pretty big explosion at first of a lot of these guys signing early. But he also pointed out that in the long term, you got to look at there's going to be some buyers of remorse on both sides. I mean, first of all, from the recruit side, you know, these guys given these coaches and these programs commitments okay, let's see how serious you are. Uh, Mm. Are you going to go ahead and sign in December and uh, skip that, you know, lead up to National Signing Day? And then in the terms of the programs, I mean, these some of these programs send out, you know, so many scholarship offers. And let's say a kid really is ready to sign and really wants to come to to your school. Okay, are you ready to uh, go ahead and give him that scholarship and uh, and move on, you know? So it's going to be something that's going to take time to work itself out and uh, I guess find a happy medium for both the the kids and the programs. Mm -hmm. But overall, I think it will take some of the maybe circus uh, aspect of National Signing Day off. But then again, maybe the December thing just turns into another circus too. So maybe we'll have two of them, Adam. Right. Get one in the uh, in the fall and then another one in the spring. So we got McElwain's take on that. And what else was he talking about in terms of where the team is at right now? Well, obviously the big news this week just in personnel is, you know, the arrival of a couple of new players. Being One of them is uh, one of their most high-profile recruits and quarterback Jake Allen. Uh, anytime a, a quarterback commits to the Gators, you know, that's big news. But Jake Allen's a guy uh, from down in uh, South Florida who been committed here for a couple of years, been very active on social media about the Florida program, interacting with fans. And now he finally enrolled in some rate classes, him and another uh, true freshman, TJ Moore, an offensive lineman. Uh, so they're both here summer A. 
Uh, McIlwain said they cleared all their medical tests yesterday, so they they're working out with the team uh, starting this week. And uh, so you know that was one thing that's uh, intriguing because again he was asked about Luke Del Rio wins he going to be able to start throwing the ball around? He didn't really have an answer. That's something he was going to check with his staff on his medical staff to get a better gauge. But, you know, you got Jake Allen there. We, we all, we talked about Kyle Trask, knee injury. Mm-hmm. McElwain said he's looking good. He's, he's about close to returning. Then you got Felipe Franks who came out of spring as the leader at Del Rio and uh, Kadarius Tony and Jake Allen. So a uh, big mixture of quarterbacks back there. Uh, so, uh, We'll see how it comes. Uh, it's amazing what we're here in early May. It's not going to be that long before fall camp starts. Gentlemen, thank you so much as always. Look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam. While some athletes star right out of the gates in college, many need time to flourish into the best versions of themselves. Ryan Larson is a prime example of the latter, reaching the high point of his Gator career in this his senior season after struggling to find his footing over his first three years. We spoke to the outfielder about his remarkably resurgent final campaign and career as a Gator, but began our chat by getting caught up on his early years. Well, I grew up in Orlando, Florida. Uh, went to Dr. Phillips High School, so I uh, really enjoyed that. My mom uh, was a school teacher when I was younger and was a stay-at-home mom. Was she for, your teacher? No, she wasn't. Okay. Uh, she was a stay-at-home mom when I was in middle school and okay. high school and stuff. So it was awesome to have her around. Uh, my dad was an asset manager for a bank and stuff. So he was home on the weekends and going to baseball games, doing all that stuff. And I have uh, two older brothers, Brad and Taylor, and they are a major influence in my life for sure. I mean, we talk almost every day. Mm -hmm. Awesome to have them in my life. So very fortunate to have a good upbringing. Were they baseball players as well, or were you the one that sort of brought baseball to the family? Uh, I definitely brought baseball to the family. My dad played basketball, and Mm -hmm. so did both my brothers. So we were definitely a basketball family until I came around. So did you start by playing basketball like everyone else and then shift into baseball? Uh, yeah, I mean, both my brothers played Little League, and uh, mm-hmm. we got signed up for everything, soccer, baseball, basketball. So we did it all, but then as things got serious, I chose baseball instead of basketball. Why did you like baseball so much, especially when your whole family was a basketball family? Why was baseball the, the route for you? I think it was because there was a way where my dad didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> so I, I, uh, I kind of got to learn with him, which was really, really fun. We got to learn together, and uh, we're still learning together and talk about the game and enjoy it together. Did you get your brothers playing baseball too, so it's something you could beat them at as opposed to basketball? Uh, No, they always try to tell me they can beat me in basketball, but they didn't go into baseball very much. Of the other sports you played, what were you best at outside of baseball? Uh, Definitely ping pong. Ping pong? Yeah, for sure. Wow, I didn't know that was a, a state-sponsored sport here. When did you get into <laughs> ping pong? Uh, I think we got one for Christmas one year, and uh, it was outside on the patio, and we would play countless hours and I remember I didn't have a backhand so my brothers weren't allowed to hit backhand shots to me (laughs) and then uh, as I got older I started to beat up on them and it's been like that ever since. Do you play ping pong with with the guys here? Yeah there's one in the uh, there's one in the locker room so we we like to play a lot that's for sure. Who's the the best challenger when you have ping pong battles or do you do you dominate the field? Uh, No I'm not the best in the locker room there's definitely a lot of good guys Michael Byrne, uh, Jonathan India, they're very worthy. I didn't know there was such a 
a ping pong culture within baseball. Is that normal or is that unique to this team? Uh, I think it's pretty normal. I know at the SEC tournament they have the game room and stuff where there's ping pong and other things like foosball and pool. But yeah, ping pong's pretty popular. <laughs> Did not realize that. All right, so let's talk about recruiting and how you ended up at Florida. What do you remember about that process, and what did Sully do to get you to buy into this program? Um, I think I was a junior in high school where things started to heat up, and I was getting a couple of different offers from different schools, and uh, I knew there was two things I wanted in a school. I wanted a school that would win and mm-hmm. a school that has tradition and being good at baseball. And they were in Omaha the years when I was in high school, and I saw that, and I knew they would win. And so when I finally got the call from Sully, it was kind of a a no-brainer. There wasn't really much selling going on. He didn't have to say much. I was pretty excited. Were you always a Gator fan growing up? Uh, I was not. My parents are from Wisconsin, so uh, the whole SEC football thing wasn't really huge. That was new. Yeah. Yeah, that was new. Um, I didn't have a college that I, like, loved, so... I I wasn't a big Gator fan. Didn't idolize Tim Tebow or anything right, like that. Right. No. I mean, what was your family into then? Was it like the Packers? And what what was the big yeah? Thing we're in your family? we're a big Packers okay. fan family. Uh, yeah, I'm very much into that. It's pretty cool. Hasin Clinton Dix went to my high school, mm-hmm. and then he got drafted by the Packers a couple of years ago. So that was pretty cool to follow him. And uh, yeah. I'm a huge Packers fan. Sundays are a, a great day in the fall. Sundays are don't don't bother the Larson family. No, for sure. We're, <laughs> we're watching the Packer game, whether Brett Favre's quarterback or Aaron Rodgers, it doesn't matter. Let's talk about your career and, and kind of the, the script you followed. So you came in and the first couple of years did what most people do. You, you started as a freshman, got a little bit better, and then you, you hit a, a really tough roadblock there as a junior. What happened your junior season? What, what do you think caused you to have such a tough year? Um, that first weekend, I came out hot. Uh, I was feeling good, and then, uh, you know, things kind of just tampered off from there. I kind of just was taken out of the lineup, and it was a struggle to get back in the entire time. So I don't think I could ever get things going on a roll. And then, you know, with the draft going on and, mm-hmm. you know, so many other factors going on in your life, it's it's just a lot in one year. And I think uh, I'm confident enough in myself to say it got to me for sure. And uh, thankfully I uh, picked up and kind of – I'm rolling right now, so that's that's a good thing. So when, when it does get to you, how do you move past that? So what did you do between last year and this year to accept what had happened and then put that energy toward making it a great senior season? Yeah, I think you said it. I, I kind of accepted that that happened. Uh, over the summer, I took some time off. I, I actually coached baseball, hmm. so that was uh, that was a lot of fun. It's a totally different view on that side of things, and you kind of you do learn different things as you see things as different um it was fun to make uh baseball fun again Mm -hmm. to be honest and and to enjoy being around the the guys and the game and it was good to take a step back and do that what were a few of the specific things that you took away from coaching that you were then able to apply to your own game well i think uh as far as relaxing when you're a coach you know you're not playing so I felt relaxed when I was coaching mm-hmm. and you know it's not like there was a big price on these games but to just relax and realize that the game is slower than you make it and when you're going so fast and as a player your brain is going a million miles an hour to just take a deep breath and step back and say hey you know the bases are 90 feet mm-hmm. and, you know the fence is basically the same distance away you just kind of slow it down a little bit. So this year is a career year for you and that's how you want to see it as a senior going out strong. What have been the biggest keys to all of your success here in your, your final go-around? I think staying consistent is one of my main things I try to do. I try to not get too high, try not to get too low. You know, you're definitely going to have those games where 
you know, you're just not seeing it good or, you know, the pitcher gets you. And then you're going to have those five for five games where you're seeing everything. And, you know, the next day you can't go in and say, oh, I'm not going to hit off the tee today or I'm not going to do my routine. You got to do your same routine and try to stay consistent. So that's definitely a big factor. Because of the nature of college baseball and especially the draft, there aren't a lot of seniors on most teams. So having said that, how much responsibility does it give you to be a leader for this team when there's only two seniors and you're one of them? Yeah, I tell a couple of guys this every once in a while when you know they're down or, or something crazy happened to them in the game or off the field. Basically, everything I can think of on the field has happened to me. Uh, <laughs> I've messed up. I've come through. I had a walk-off hit my freshman year. That was pretty cool. I've lost a starting job. I've won a starting job. Um, I've come off the bench. I've been pulled. Everything that I can think of has happened to me as far as that goes. So when something like that happens to somebody and they're like, man, you know, what, what happened? I'm like, Hey, you're not the only person that that's happened to, you know, it's going to happen again. And uh, one thing, one of the seniors told me my freshman year, I was having a bad day and I was in the outfield and he said, Hey man, you know, this is not going to be the worst day you have. There's going to be other bad Very days. Very comforting. <laughs> yeah. There's going to be, there's going to be a lot more bad days to come, but you know, you got to be able to take those with a grain of salt and move on. So is that the number one thing you would tell yourself if you could go back and, and talk to the freshman version of you is the same things you're saying now to these younger players? Yeah, I think that would have been good because when you have a bad day when you're young, it's like, oh, my God, the world is going to end. You know, right. I'm going to show up to the field tomorrow and it's going to be over. Like they're going <laughs> to tell me to leave or something. And that's definitely not the case. As far as the team goes, it's been sort of an up and down year, but lately the wins have been coming more frequently. What do you think the differences have been for the team lately as opposed to earlier in the year? Uh, earlier in the year, I think uh, we were struggling to find, try and find an identity. Uh, we definitely had some guys struggle earlier in the year, and uh, we knew that pitching was going to be a big thing for us, especially on the weekends. Mm-hmm. I think we knew that coming in, but as far as an offense, we kind of had to figure out some roles and have some young guys like Langworthy step up and hit third for us now is, is huge. So I think guys just being comfortable with their roles finally towards the end of the year and we've played I think someone said 17 one-run ball games or something like that so you know we're comfortable with that when you're going through this part of the year also you've got the draft and a lot of people are probably looking at that and that's happening very very soon you've been through this with you you went through it yourself you've been through with teammates how do you put that in the proper perspective When, when you're playing with your team you're trying to get to Omaha and achieve those team goals but also you know that this big personal goal is also coming up soon I think it's something that you know you have to take into consideration as far as your mindset because it's happening no matter what you do no matter what you say it's happening and you know those scouts and those teams are looking at you and there's going to be a decision made on your future whether you like it or not mm-hmm. and uh seeing other teammates go through it i think the best way to do it is to have fun and uh just remember our strength coach always tells us just have fun with your friends. That's the main thing. If you have fun with your friends, everything else is going to work out, whether it's the draft, your personal stats on the team, mm-hmm. you know, or your team success. If you have fun with your friends, it's all going to work out. And it's also fun when you're playing with your friends, you get to go to Omaha, which exactly. you guys have done the last couple of years. So at this part of the year, how much do people start talking about that? And how much of a carrot is it to get back there again, especially for you as a senior? Omaha is always in the talks as far as in the weight room, in the fall, running, 
fall ball. Mm-hmm. And then when you go home for Christmas, all your friends are asking you, you know, are you guys going to get back to home? Are you going to get back to home? Then you come to the beginning of the year, the media is asking you, are you going to get back to home? Are you going to get back to home? And then the beginning of the year starts. And like, Okay, man, we're three and one. Are we going to get back to home? But uh, <laughs> you kind of got to take a step back and realize that, you know, we're going to go to the SEC tournament and then you're going to do regionals and then you're going to do super regionals. You just got to take a step by step as far as that goes. But Omaha, yeah, being there two years in a row, I'm very fortunate, and uh, it is an awesome experience for sure. What's it like competing on that stage? If the freshmen say to you, hey, what, what's Omaha like? Tell us about it. How do you describe what that's like? It is an extremely fun experience. There's, you know, people know who you are, which is kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, around <laughs> campus, not everyone knows who, your face as far as that goes. But in Omaha, people recognize you. And uh, when you're out there taking BP that first day, there's just a buzz in the in the stadium. You hear people talking. They might not be screaming. You know, it's not like you're at LSU and you're hearing LSU mm-hmm. all day, all night. They're just talking and there to see the baseball game and, and cheer you on whether, you know, you're on one team or another. So you just got to take a deep breath. And I actually, I think I remember uh, my first time I was there my sophomore year. I think I was in uh, right field, and I just turned around and looked at Buddy Reed and was like, man, this is awesome. Like, <laughs> we, you got you got to take it in for a second and then kind of lock back into the game. But, yeah, you definitely have to take it in. And you've gotten to Omaha with guys like Buddy Reed, guys who are in the big leagues now. What's the communication like between you and a lot of your former teammates that are now competing at the next level? Uh, we talk a lot. There's definitely a small group of guys that I talk to daily, uh, A.J. Puck, Logan Shore. Buddy Reed, um, and definitely other guys that have moved on and not uh, taken the baseball route. You know, we talk daily, and the one thing I got from the University of Florida is, you know, friends for a lifetime. That's for sure. Your friends who are in the league now, the guys you just mentioned, what do they tell you about playing in, in the majors at whatever level they're at, and how does that then affect you and, and your thinking about your baseball future? It's definitely different. You know, it's a business up there, so there's different things going on. You know, you're getting fined for being late and stuff mm-hmm. like that <laughs> they talk about. But, um, you know, we try not to – I mean, we definitely talk about baseball, but it's we don't really talk too much in detail about it. You have the highest number of any player on the team. Some would even say it's a curse number. So tell us where 66 came from. Oh, the, the number. Um, so I guess people on GameCast tell me that like uh, my favorite hockey player is Mario Lemieux. Uh, I was not a big hockey fan, but <laughs> I, I don't know where they found that. But uh, coming in my freshman year, I was always a double numbers guy. So mm-hmm. uh, Josh Tobias had 11. Carson Whitson had 22. Uh, I think our assistant coach, Craig Bell, wears 33. So then John Sternigal got 44. And then we had a sophomore pitcher had 55, so 66 was next in line. That was next up? Yep, that was it. Wow. So usually I thought you were going to say it was like six was your favorite, but six was taken, so you doubled it. It was literally just whatever yeah, the next whatever double was number next. was. So if someone had 66, I guess I was going to have to go out there with 77. <laughs> Is this the same thing in high school? Yeah. What number were you in high school? 22. Were you ever 11 or was someone always taking 11? Uh, no, I don't think I was ever 11. Someone grandfathered that. Yeah. Game. Okay. Why did that become your thing? Why was that a big deal? Uh, I don't know. It really wasn't a big deal. I, I don't care what number I wear, but they asked, and I guess I just threw 66 out there. <laughs> now, outside of baseball, tell us what you like to do in your free time. I know you guys don't get a lot of it, but what do you like to do when you have a few minutes away from the game? Uh, definitely when I go home, I like to fish. Uh, that's a big thing. Um, I do like in golfing with my brothers and my dad when I'm home. But, yeah, fishing and then uh, in the summer when I go up to Wisconsin, fishing up there as well. So it's just uh, a good way to relax and have some fun. There's a pretty big difference between 
life in Wisconsin and life in Florida. So how did the family migrate down and, and how much of a change was that? I think my parents moved down after they had my oldest brother and uh, I don't remember why, but uh, I love going back up to Wisconsin and uh, enjoying it up there. I don't get up there in the in the winter months as much because I don't like the cold. No, but, especially after being here for a while. Yeah, but uh, I love it up there. It's a lot of fun to fish and just enjoy the outdoors up there. So then you end up in Orlando, or your family's in Orlando. Orlando is the theme park capital of the world. So I'm not sure if you're are you a theme park guy. Uh, I actually hate roller coasters. You hate roller coasters. Yes. How come? Uh, I have no idea. Well, I know why I don't like them. They give me a weird feeling. Is it a, is it a fear of roller? Coasters? No, it's not a fear okay. of roller coasters. Okay. I, I don't have a fear of falling out or anything like that. <laughs> I just because I was going to say I, it's probably a lot more dangerous standing there taking a 95 mile an hour fastball than riding a roller coaster. Yeah, exactly. But no, I just don't like the feeling I get from them. And uh, yeah, it's funny because every time you know someone says, "Oh yeah, you're from Orlando. You go to Disney World." It's like, eh, no, not really. So not, I mean, growing up, didn't go to theme parks much, or didn't uh, go to Disney, didn't do any of that when stuff? The, when the relatives come in, then you go to Disney, but mm-hmm. other than that, not really, no. If you had to go to one park, where would you go? Uh, I'd go to a water park. Okay. Yeah. Which, which water park? Probably Blizzard Beach. They got the wave pool, they got the, the big family ride that you can ride down the slide on. Yeah, but definitely not the roller coasters. <laughs> I want to get back to talking about your career here and kind of put a, a bow on it. When you think back on the memories in, in your time here at Florida, what stands out to you? Hmm, that's a good question. I would say probably my best memories are just being with my friends, whether it's in the locker room during a rain delay and you're just goofing off, messing around. Uh, we probably did that a little too much, definitely. <laughs> the, the slip and slide battles and the tarp? Yep, those are yeah. fun. But I don't know if I could put a, uh, a stamp on probably my favorite memory. That's That's a tough question. Are there any moments on the field, any games? You mentioned a walk-off your freshman year, but, I mean, when you think about things on the field, what stands out? Uh, the walk-off was pretty cool. I remember it was a Sunday against Mizzou. We won the first two games, and uh, Bobby Pointer was pitching. And I, I don't know if he was tired or what, but he said, end the game. And so I got to do that, ended the game. And then um, – my sophomore year, I think it was the second weekend, I hit my first home run as a Gator, and uh, my best friend AJ Puck was on, on the basis, so that was pretty funny. We were, we were <laughs> laughing about that, and uh, I do have more career home runs than him as a Gator, so that's pretty cool. Keep that one in your back pocket yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. I know seniors don't like this question, but I have to ask it. Because you're a senior, it means that your career is coming to an end here, so what are your plans at this point for the future beyond the University of Florida? Well, I definitely want to give baseball a shot. You know, if that opportunity is there, I'm going to take it. But I did just graduate last week with a degree in advertising. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, I definitely like the design part of advertising and the creative. So uh, as far as that goes, I don't know. Wherever that takes me, I'm I'm game for anything, honestly. Have you had a chance to do any internships or, or pursue advertising at all while you've been in school? Nope. Baseball, baseball, baseball. Baseball, baseball, baseball. Yep. So where, where would, if you wanted to get into advertising, where would you start? What do you like about advertising? Uh, as I said before, I like the creative part. So coming up with uh, designs for a company or a campaign for a company and doing certain things like that. Where I would start looking for a job, I have no idea. I'll get around to that. when Monster.com it, or something. Yeah, when it gets there. But um, I, I have no idea where I would begin to start. Do you have a favorite ad campaign? What piqued your interest in advertising? Probably the Super Bowl ads. I really enjoy the Super Bowl ads. Uh, a favorite ad? 
um, the State Farm, uh, the khakis guy, he gets me, and then the discount double check. So, yeah, State Bring Farm. Bring the Packers back around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. State Farm does a good job, that's for sure. <laughs> Final thing for you, as you guys head down the stretch here, what do you think the keys are for this team being successful and making that run to Omaha that, that we talked about? Keys to success. Uh, we got to keep doing what we're doing. We got to pitch and play defense, and when the runs come around, they have to be cashed in. Uh, I think that's kind of been the brand since I've been here is pitching defense is going to win you games, especially out in Omaha. And uh, when those runs come around, you you got to get them no matter what. Well, we hope that that happens for you guys a lot down the stretch. Good luck, and thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you very much. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, we encourage you to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Also, be sure to like our Facebook page and give us feedback by following us on Twitter at Gators Podcast or emailing GatorsPodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode, so don't miss it. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you at the SEC Tournament.